hi. Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is the other thing I do. Also, I have a cold. Now just published our great big end-of-the-decade issue, which you can find online at nowtoronto.com. Among the many, many lists and cultural overviews, we included a thing on the 10 best Toronto films of the 2010s, which brings us to this week's episode. My guest is Jen Pogue, an actor, producer, and podcaster whose credits are numerous and intimidating. As an actor, she's appeared in things like Silent Retreat, Chasing Valentine, How to Buy a Baby, and The Masked Saint, directed by her partner and now husband, Warren P. Sonata, friend of the show, and congratulations, you guys. As a producer, Jen's credits include Warren's new film, Things I Do for Money, and the shorts Red Balloon, Jessica Jessica, With You Always, and Age of Dysphoria, among others, as well as her own short film, We're Not Talking About It. Also, Jen and actor Lara Jean Korstecki created and produced an excellent podcast series, Women on Screen Out Loud. Its first season, released last winter, features essays and stories read by people like Katie Bolin, Gracelyn Kung, Molly McGlynn, Jean Yoon, and others. It's a great concept, and you should definitely check that out. But first... Jen picked a movie our American listeners will know as What If, but we're going to stick with the original title, The F Word. Adapted by Elon Mustai from the stage play Toothpaste and Cigars by T.J. Daw and Michael Rinaldi, and directed by Michael Douse, the energetic romantic comedy stars Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan as Wallace and Chantry, two young people who meet at a house party, hit it off, and resolve to become... friends. Because Chantry has a boyfriend, and Wallace doesn't want to be the guy who intrudes on a relationship. They're surrounded by a bunch of interesting folks, played by the likes of Adam Driver, Mackenzie Davis, Megan Park, Rafe Spall, and Sarah Gadden, and the film invites us to enjoy following these kids around Toronto as they meet for coffee, go to the movies, and complicate one another's lives. And that's before they're made to confront whatever it is that's been developing between them. That's the F word. It's adorable. This is someone else's movie. When I was asked to kind of come up with a film uh, to, to discuss today, and I, you know, I haven't done a, a podcast or an interview in this kind of format before and I'm like what what route should I go how should I take this and I just the effort just kept popping up in my mind I think I it's been a little while since I had seen it I just rewatched it again with Warren last night actually which oh, nice. was a lot of fun and I still have the same feelings every time I see it it's just it feels very close to my heart even though I have nothing to do with it <laughs> yeah, I, get I think because it's it's based it's, it's so Toronto based and it's so beautiful and I get I feel like it sees Toronto the way I see Toronto a lot of the time on, on my best days. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and I am just a, I'm a big old sucker for any romantic comedy. And <laughs> this is one of the, the like late newer ones that, um, that's come out that I've just really, really felt strong, strongly that I loved. Yeah. 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 I mean, we're in this new phase of, of, ironic self-aware mm-hmm. romantic comedies mostly on netflix as far as i can tell or, or stuff like isn't it romantic and i feel pretty where they're deconstructing them even as they're falling into the same traps yeah and the f word which was now what 2013 is fine. i think is yeah 2013 2014 it was a tiff years? in 2013 i want to say um it feels like it is ahead of that curve but also it's just so honest about what it is and what kind of story it's telling. It's, yeah. I mean, it's an update of, of Harry Met, when Harry Met Sally, structurally. That's right. Um, but it isn't directly obligated to it, uh-huh. and that makes it better. And it's got the, the just, it has the love of conversation and, and digression that, that the best of the Nora Ephron films had. Mm-hmm. And it also features characters who are much, much younger than Nora Ephron would ever write. And mm-hmm. so it feels, 
alive and, and zippy and natural. And yeah, it's it's you know it's that horrible cliche. Well, the city is really a character in the film, but yeah. it is. It's the most East End Toronto thing I've ever seen. It is, isn't it? It's it really plays Toronto for what Toronto is, which not a lot of films that film here do. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we just made a film this summer um, where we filmed Hamilton for Hamilton, and we were were very cognizant about that as well. And so, like, just showcasing what we thought the best was and, like, what some of the coolest spots were and what people would pick up on. And and when I was rewatching this again, I'm like, they did, like, they did that too. They had just as much intention and, like, you know, hoped to do that as they did. And, yeah, it was just great. Yeah, Yeah. there there is something really warm um, Mm -hmm. about watching a movie that gets where you live yeah uh, like it, i mean yes there's there was scene shot at the royal which is a block and a half away from here <laughs> but most of it is shot in the east end where i've never lived but it yeah. still feels like a recognizable toronto it feels like uh when, when um when i interviewed michael douse at the time mm-hmm. uh he said that like the production office was a block away from almost everything oh, they just shot locally. what a dream <laughs> yeah because, well because it let them create a geography that's natural yeah um it's not the thing in lethal weapon where you know somebody leaps a bridge and then they're on the other side of los angeles mm-hmm. because that was the more attractive location this was just organic that's the george street diner that's this that's yeah. the that's the rooster coffee with rooster that coffee view and that's, the, they yeah. walk across the street to the park and that's the view that you would see yeah yeah and yeah. it's just it's one of those things that's so sweet and simple and mm-hmm. i guess too it's not a complex shoot so you can get away with it it's not like a massive production with right. cranes and things but it is also kind of amazing that this is a movie where daniel radcliffe probably at the time the most famous human being or the most recognizable human being in the world can just wander around Toronto and and do whatever he wants. I know. We were watching it last night and I'm like, it's Harry Potter and Star Wars in the same film. Yes, that's true. I forgot about that. And I think this was pre-that Star Wars as well, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. so I'm like, wow, Toronto was really lucky that summer. I don't know if we knew it. (laughs) It is, it's this, I mean, there's this, um, there's this meme of of the two of them shopping of, of, Radcliffe oh. and Adam Driver shopping in the antique store and they just put whatever dialogue you know you can put whatever dialogue you oh, want about amazing. how you, know, you think you have it bad my dad sucks and all that's... that <laughs> um, but it's it's wonderful too uh, because it really is just about having strong actors it's mm-hmm. Radcliffe and Driver and, and Mackenzie Davis mm-hmm. and uh, and Zoe Kazan who's just sort of quietly wonderful in the trickiest part in the film mm-hmm. um, but right down to like Sarah Gadden shows up for one scene yeah. and she just it's devastating. I know. Um, it's true. Yeah. She's so good in that that little role. Yeah, yeah. and it's kind of a Sarah that, um, she, she yeah she kind of comes alive in that little moment too. You don't get to see that side of her, like that vulnerable, vulnerable sort of side of her yeah. as a doctor in too many things either. Yeah, and then also Megan Heffern and that's um, right. oh, um, uh, I mean, who else is in there? There's um. It's a comic actor whose name is yep. escaping me as we speak. I can picture her face, and I'm just trying to think of her name. Ugh. Oh, Megan Park. Oh, Megan, Megan Park, yeah. Yeah. And no, and the one who's in Jeremy's movie. Tommy. Uh, Tommy Amber Peart. Tommy, that's right. She, yeah. <laughs> she's she Her and Megan play the Zoe's best friends in the film. That's right. I yes. About that. And the knitting scene, That's oh, this is yeah. the other thing. Uh, so, um, Kate, uh, my, my, I'm going to background this for the listener. My wife yeah. is a knitting instructor, and I think... I'm trying to remember if this came up in the episode with Dows, but uh, she couldn't. She has a, a class. She taught a class at the Purple Pearl where oh, they shot did. that scene, and she could not teach it that week because they were forced out for the shoot. So they That's ended up, so um, yeah, they ended up in a 
restaurant basement or something next door teaching this <laughs> class while, while they shot the scene. Um, but I got to tell Zoe Kazan this in a separate situation because I'm a huge suck-up, apparently. Um, <laughs> I was interviewing her for some other movie the year before, okay. like just after the shoot. Uh, before the F word, either before the F word was here or the year it was here. Now I'm all confused. How do you keep it all straight? I it, don't even it's know. It's a mess. Well, because yeah. the only way I can remember this is that I interviewed her for the F word formally the following year. Okay. Uh, when it opened in the spring. Okay. Or in the summer. It opened in the summer. Um, but I got to interview Zoe Kazan the year the film shot and tell her this. And she just lit right up because, as it turns out, she really is a huge knitter and knew oh, who Kate was. Oh, so, neat. So, oh, wow. So now I just. We send her a book whenever Kate publishes one, and oh, she still so hasn't done the podcast. Cool. So <clears throat> I'm just saying, uh, <laughs> Zoe, get on here. I mean, she's There's space in for town. you. She shot yeah. stuff, uh, but yeah, it's it is this weird intimacy that the film generates, where everybody in it feels like a friend of the audience. Mm-hmm. Just there's no real villain, there's no tension. Mm-hmm. It's all about self doubt and insecurity and Mm -hmm. that is the most relatable subject in the world 100 (laughs) percent i think that's yeah that's just it too i and you you kind of have these um like back and forth with the characters a little bit like there's like zoe's character you're right in saying you're very right in saying that she is a complex character like because i have moments with her that i'm so on her side and then i have moments where i'm just like really how are you (laughs) reacting like that like like the very end of the film when he he makes this grandiose romantic gesture and flies out after her which is what you see in so many romantic comedies and she like gives him heck for it (laughs) Mm. um which is an interesting choice in that moment i was like come on you love it a little bit you love that he did that everybody would love that you did (laughs) but 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 so interesting that they made that she has to turn it on him yeah she it comes from a real place even though it's not a it's. I mean, it's ostensibly it's the thing you don't do in a romantic comedy, but it's also a human response, which is why it's the thing you don't do in a romantic right. comedy. And it's just, it's such a smart treatment of. Like, it's not a resolution of the situation; it just prolongs it. But mm-hmm. it's such a great way to do that and treat the audience like they're adults by letting the performance be open enough that we can understand it. When I, yes, that's yeah. amazing. I just, yeah. I just spent the whole movie going, oh, that's. That's clever. Yeah. That's actually how you would do that. That's a good solution. Yeah. And then it turned out that uh, the screenwriter was sitting right next to me. Uh, <laughs> and Were you talking out loud while I you were watching have, this? I might have been going, hmm. Oh. Huh. <laughs> uh, so that was fun. But Was that Elan? Elan, yeah. Oh, nice. um, I noticed his cameo when I watched it recently. That's again, right. Too. The first time I had <laughs> It made me laugh quite a bit. They He references to himself as the creepy doctor. <laughs> yes. Which like, feels like some kind of weird parental fulfillment. Yeah, like, oh, no. look, I'm a doctor. Yeah. This is not what you wanted. And the creepy one. Yeah. <laughs> but it is such a a sweet-hearted movie that it, it it doesn't judge any character, but it lets them judge each other mm-hmm. in a really smart way. Mm-hmm. And you have long speeches about morals delivered by people who are lying to themselves. And you have this constant illusion of the best way to get through a situation and to be the grown-up and nobody's a grown-up. The, the, right. the only really honest relationship is between the secondary characters mm-hmm. who are just perfectly happy with each other and, mm-hmm. and delighted uh, and they're only upset when they can't have sex nachos. Yeah. Which is, again, <laughs> such a tiny little moment, but Driver sells it so well. So well. It doesn't feel like an eccentric friend. It just feels like a natural delivery of this bizarre line. Yes. You're... <laughs> 
I've never seen somebody so happy for nachos in a movie before, but I know that feeling so well <laughs> when the nachos are hot and they come out of the oven. And yes, I think you're right that they, they sell it just really hilariously in that film. That Those two characters in themselves, it's Adam and, and who's, who plays the girl? Sorry, what's uh, her name? Mackenzie Davis. Mackenzie Davis, yes. I want yes. to make sure that that's correct. She's not even... That's amazing. She's not even part of the, the main title block. I know. It's Radcliffe Kazan, Megan Park, and Adam Driver. Wow. And then way in there... I always want to call her Mackenzie Cameron, but that was the character she played. Cameron was the character she played on Halt and Catch Fire. Yes, Mackenzie Davis. Look Mackenzie at me, Davis. Smart. And yeah. poor Rafe Spall, who uh, is the, the, the UN lawyer boyfriend um, that has to be the Baxter. He has to suffer for the movie to work. Right. But it's kind of okay. Right. <laughs> I'm positive there was a... Um, so, yeah, did you see the... I'm going to roll it back. Mm-hmm. Did you see the the original cut or the theatrical cut? Because oh, when it played at TIFF, it didn't have the ending that it has now. That's a very good question. I'm pretty sure... I never saw it in the theaters or at TIFF. I think oh, I just okay. saw it... Um, I saw it on a plane, I think, was the first time I saw it. And then mm. I said, I need to watch this on a bigger screen. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, whenever it's been on television, I've watched it. And then we just watched it on demand last night. So what was the ending in the theatrical one? So the original cut ends with the um, close-up on the Fool's Gold Sandwich. It doesn't have... It has the animated sequence. Oh, uh, That is the end credits. Yeah. But it doesn't have them meeting at the airport 18 months later. Oh. Um, which is a really... When, um, and the whole wedding scene to follow that as that's well, right. isn't that's it? That's right. None of that happened. Wow. Um, it ends on, it ended on the possibility of happiness, but not the actual exposition. Exposition, um, yeah. But the animated sequence was there. The, the animated end titles where you see Chantry flying off and all of those things that happen, they happen, you know, you see photos of their passports and photos of the degree and, and all of that. Oh, okay, I see. So now you watch the ending and then it shows you that stuff again in the end credits. Interesting. Oh, I have to watch the end credits again just to imagine that that other person was in place. So, do you think that that's a cut? Because because then it came out in the states and they changed the title. Mm. And do you think that that is relevant to the feedback that they got from the theatrical release? That that I don't know. The more general audience, so to speak, needed to needed that closure. I think, yeah, I th- it was pretty heavily implied that at the time when when I interviewed. Um, both of them, both Dawson and Elan, that the studio mandated it, that huh. it just needed an extra beat because audiences wanted to be sure. Right. Um, which is kind of sweet, right? If you're yeah. that invested and you want to yeah. make sure it's going to be okay for them. But it's weird. It, it was one of those things where when I saw it, it didn't have that. At, this was at the, the first TIFF screening. It was the world premiere. Uh. Uh, didn't have the ending. And it also, I'm quite sure, had a, a shot or two that really implied that Rafe Spall's character was cheating on Chantry with the um, with his Argentine okay. uh, colleague. Oh. And it was maybe even just a shot of him picking her up because they both come home drunk at one point and right. he sort of grabbed her around her waist to steady her and held it a little too long. It was a little too intimate. It was one of those moments where you just think, oh, okay, that's the out. And that's gone. So now... So they made his character almost a little more likable. Yeah, a little more innocent, which I think lands better. Yeah. Interesting. Because we're waiting for him to betray her. Right. Like we're waiting for that reason to be, that box to be ticked so she can move on. Yeah. But I kind of like the idea that he's just caught in the crossfire. Right. He's, he's a nice guy who's not the right guy. Exactly. A nice guy that's not the right guy. And, you know, five years is a long time for a couple to be together. And it's kind of at that crossroads where you're like, is it, do we, do, do we, don't we? Do we, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so we don't need to make him the villain in going with your themes of how there are 
isn't really a villain in this entire yeah. film. Yeah, that's interesting. He still gets to punch Radcliffe, uh-huh. which I think is earned. Uh-huh. Um, especially because... Radcliffe they, made him fall out of a window. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they set that up like on the night where he says you're not going to try to... Right. To, um, to steal her and he still goes out the window yeah he's just he's punished for seeing the truth yeah in a weird way he's like this uh, this almost noble suffering that's inflicted on him right it's like a tragic uh, 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 it's like a Greek tragedy where he's the Cassandra he sees it all coming and he can't stop it <laughs> yes it was funny in that in that window scene when we were watching it last night Warren's like the phone falls after, and Warren's like, oh, I should have landed on his head. That was a comedy beat that they missed. <laughs> it's, it's true, but that would be too much suffering. It would be a little bit too much suffering. That's a little you, too slapstick. Yeah. And I said, oh, honey, that's your humor. <laughs> that's how you create the villain. Yeah. But it's so sweet. It doesn't want anybody to suffer needlessly. The um, like Even even putting the, the, the pepper in his eye is his own mistake. Yeah. It's not that somebody else does it to him. Yeah. And there's such a, a balance to that, mm-hmm. I think. It just keeps you, on, it keeps you off balance just enough as a viewer mm-hmm. to tell you that, no, 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 we thought this through. We're going to be grown up about it. Mm-hmm. There's a way to tell the story that isn't so completely familiar that you can fully invest, but you can also be surprised. Mm-hmm. It's, it's comfort food that doesn't want to be too predictable, if mm-hmm. that makes any sense. Like, it's a really good hamburger. It's a very good hamburger. Yeah. It is. And it doesn't have to be an insult. No. It's not a double decker. It doesn't need to be anything more than it needs. Like, it just needs to be a good solid burger. <laughs> yeah, it's not bad for you. No. It's been made with love. Yeah, you're going to feel good when you finished it. Not too greasy. <laughs> we do have to talk about the fool's gold, though. Right. Because um, that's horrifying. <laughs> it's real. Yeah. Um, I have had, I have tried it. Uh, this is another weird story. This is the way the F word has reverberated through the city. Um Specifically Toronto, because uh, Corey Mintz, who I mem- I don't know if I'd actually even met him at that time, uh, but he and I lived fairly close together uh, in Kensington. He was just on the other side of um, Spadina. Mm-hmm. And he announced over Twitter that he was inspired by the F word. He was going to make fool's gold. Wow. And document the process. And I read it, and I was like, this is fascinating, <laughs> terrifying. Did everything that the movie said to do. Uh-huh. And made it smaller. Uh, which was the he, he made a um, like half size half scale version of it so he wasn't using the giant loaf that's used in the film it was a smaller baguette wow. uh, so as as not to kill people right. basically but then what he ended up doing was announcing that he was going to take it to this um, cookbook shop uh, Good Egg in, in the market which is closed now sadly oh is it that's yeah, so sad last yeah last year um, and just leave it out and sample it and if people were interested, if people wanted to take their lives in their hands, they should come and try it. And so, of course, I did. Oh yeah, I, I was would around be there, the corner, hands down. Yeah. Though. Okay. So and how was your? How that was, was the first time we met, which was bizarre. Uh, and it was it was really good. <laughs> totally understand why Elvis died. Because uh, if you have the ability to just point at someone and say, "Get me that," yeah, you would do that yeah. all the time. That's hilarious. How have you seen it anywhere else as well? I Never. feel like no. no. I feel like there's some kind of restaurant in the city that I've seen that's tried to do to put something like that on their menu. Oh, it's not coming back to me, but mm. I'll think of it. Yeah. Well, there's you know there's a constant hamburger challenge just to get back to that yes. idea where people are trying like what was the one in um, uh, in Queen and Parliament? Oh, D- dangerous dance. Dangerous dance. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, where they're basically just trying to kill people. Yeah. 
and people were trying on the regular. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. it's a great way to be a murderer. If you it, want to, I guess so, yeah. You think about definitely it. Definitely got away with it. Yeah, you're never accountable. And um, have you done the Wild Wing Challenge? No. Um, um, at Wild Wing, they have this very, very, very extra spicy wing. But if you get it, and they that? say if you eat all the whole thing, then you get the meal for free. So pe- there's always somebody in your group that's going to join. I'm happy to pay for it. And food. they usually are the first ones to leave, yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, know. <laughs> I want to enjoy life and, and, and food and, and just the yeah the ability to continue to taste the meal is right. the kind of thing that <clears throat> I would prefer to be doing mm-hmm. but it's yeah no that doesn't seem like a good idea no just the idea that if you can do this to yourself to your body you yeah. can you can leave a free man yeah. I want to be I'll be good yeah. I want to do that <laughs> um, and we have so we've strayed so far but, oh, yeah. but this is sort of but, but it's kind of a thing right like it's it's a digressive film and it yeah. kind of lends itself to this and there's that throwaway I'm still thinking about how the movie regards food and there's that great throwaway line that, that Sarah Gadden has about don't eat the sandwiches um, right because it speaks to a very rational doctor's point of view but it right. also tells us how much she cares right um, she really like what is that shot 20 seconds and yeah. it pl- and all those things play across her face so quickly yeah it's amazing she's first she's worried for him and then she's then she's genuinely sad yeah and then she's upset and then she gets back to being sad really just with like a touch of embarrassment because as you learn what sort of happens just kind of moments after that as well yeah, yeah. there's so much that play yeah, it's really it's she does such an amazing job. Have you talked yeah. to Sarah? You must have talked yeah, to her yeah. on the podcast she as well. She did um, perhaps the platonic ideal of the show. This oh. was her episode. She picked uh, Cleo from 5 to 7. Okay. And it's yeah, I'm very proud of that episode. She I, I did nothing. I basically asked her two questions and she rolled with it. But, wow, that's incredible. Yeah. This is I mean, this is there's this and there's um how, um how to plan an orgy in a small town. Yeah. Which probably have the most friends of the show at this point because mm-hmm. it's just it's a local production that just piled on the talent mm-hmm. um, and it's been such a pleasure to to be able to catch up with people you know post facto but mm-hmm. also to watch the the estimation of the movie grow right it's like this secret now it's this great little movie that people are still introducing to each other uh, a friend of ours was staying over from uh, for a weekend I want to say last summer and she was from Dublin and the time change had hit and she just couldn't get to sleep and wanted to watch something and we watched oh, nice. she'd never seen it so we watched it oh that's great and it's just delightful still nice. yes it's it is even five years later when I watched it actually when I put it on recently I'm like wow okay it's like I don't know just the way that it's filmed I'm starting to get the sense that it is not as new as it once was but mm-hmm. absolutely it's still very relatable and yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. the score is bouncy yeah and the um that cover at the beginning it's like shocked me when i when i figured out what it was it's a rolling stone song but the styles are fun i remember actually watching this movie was one of the first times i had heard of a surprise wedding oh yeah and i feel like that trend kind of started around when this film came out and now you hear like a little bit more stories here and there and i was working in the wedding industry at the time too so i was pretty captivated by the idea i'm like they just threw a, a party and just like told them they were getting married right then and there i'm like that's amazing. <laughs> it is great. We yeah. uh, we had a very small wedding, and we did consider mm-hmm. trapping people, but it seems mean. <laughs> like there's, there's such potential for it to go horribly it's wrong. It's true. Um, like and, your mom doesn't come that day for some reason yeah, or exactly. something. Yeah, You need the import. Yeah. But they set it up so well, and, and 
again, it's the the good-heartedness of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's there's no way this storyline, which we were told is going to be disastrous, mm-hmm. can go so well. Right. And and everyone's into it and it's so sweet. And yeah. and that's it. Like the 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 gravity that forms in that story thread mm-hmm. where it didn't really happen because I mean, it's Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher and when Harry met Sally, it's mm-hmm. it's such an obvious parallel. But it actually does it better, I think, mm-hmm. because Fisher and Kirby are always spectators. They're never really shown to be a couple. They're like they're each other. They're they're Harry and Sally's best friends, right. and it's funny that they get together. But it's never given any further consideration. But right. the F word gives them gives these characters lives and and interests and quirks and. A relationship that actually forms in real time in the, yeah. on the film, like what is it, maybe thirty minutes of screen time total. Yeah. But you get this complete arc of a couple that's gonna be fine. They're gonna yeah. stay together. And rooted in just genuine passion and love. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. really sweet. Whereas Wallace and Chantry have to get there. Yes. And it's labored and awkward and mean and right. Yeah. And but, that's but also very deep. Like what I think it's a beautiful story of friendship as well, just like Harry Metzali. Like yeah. they just really get to know each other so well before it well, I think that stuff is kind of at play at the very beginning, but but until it actually physically comes into play. Yeah. Yeah. I mean a flirtation that isn't coded as flirtation. Yeah. Right? Um when of course you are absolutely doing that. Like mm-hmm. it's about it's about the exploration of chemistry and, and the way that works. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny. There there are so many movies that try to do it, and I am a, a sucker for romantic comedies where really smart people are blindsided by emotion. Mm. Like just when you know your body betrays you or your heart betrays you, right. and you don't know how to deal with it, mm-hmm. those are... Those are my favorite because that is how I fancy myself. I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm overly articulate and way too in my head and all of that stuff. So when you meet someone who knocks you back, right, it's the thing you can't prepare for, right. And and it's wonderful, uh, and it's especially wonderful to watch other people suffer through it for my entertainment, like right. In a fictional context where I know no one's really going to get hurt, right. Um, this does that. This is this is that. These are two really overqualified people. Mm-hmm. Who, um, who shouldn't be with, you know, anybody else? Mm-hmm. And it takes a good ninety minutes for one of them to figure it out. Yeah. And she's not punished for it. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Like nobody is. No, and they like they they definitely um, there's a whole journey with it for sure. And I don't think anybody necessarily betrays anybody. It's more of like a just an internal battle with, with, between the two of them and trying to do the right thing but feeling like they're doing the wrong thing and then eventually yeah they never I, I do respect her very greatly first she obviously feels very deeply and has a lot of thoughts throughout this but then you know make sh- make sure that she is that other relationship is done before she bounces into this one and I think it's it's a it's a really lovely journey that you watch her go through yeah yeah and I, I was going to say Zoe Kazan's an underrated actor. I don't think she is. I think yeah. like, she's amazing and people get it. Yeah. But she may have been at the time when they filmed this. Yeah, that was it. Like, she it was, was right too, after too Ruby Sparks. Known, and maybe, yeah. And she hadn't made, I don't think she'd made the, um, the HBO thing with uh, Frances McDormand yet, Olive Kitteridge. Oh, that's right. That was sort of a major... I actually haven't watched that yet either. She's really good. Oh, cool. Um, and The Big she, Sick. And the big sick, that's right, yeah. that was still a couple of years away. Yeah. Um, I knew her best for, I think, Meek's Cutoff. Oh, okay. Um, which was 2000 and I want to say 10. Huh. Um, but it's one of those performances where you see everything she's got, 
mm-hmm. and it doesn't feel like a showy role. Right. It's all really small. Like just even the way Chantry dithers over her job mm-hmm. feels real. Like it feels like somebody who doesn't know what she wants yet and has to figure it out. And mm-hmm. we're watching it happen, and she will grow from this, but she hasn't done it yet. So, mm-hmm. you know, you you see all this. You see her paralyzed by her own potential, I guess. And she's right. constantly putting herself down. And, and, right. Uh, and again, her boyfriend is supportive. She, he's right. not a bad guy. He's trying to help. Yeah. Um, he's just just not the right guy. Just not the right guy. Yeah. Just not the right guy. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Poor but guy. I'm sure he did just fine. Well, <laughs> I, I have a headcanon here where he went on to be the same character in Jurassic Park. Uh, ah. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom and so he does not do well okay um, but I'm pretty sure it's the same guy that's interesting yeah. he's just he's sort of allowed evil to huh. win in his heart and he's been pushed all the way over but he oh. plays like this high priced lawyer for the evil guys and uh. it turns out he's spoilers for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom yeah. he's he's orchestrated because of course he is right uh, but he's orchestrated most of the worst things that are happening uh-huh. and then he is made to pay for it <laughs> And it's like, yep, same guy. I'm okay. almost positive. It also makes the movie a lot more fun. That's, that's, okay, I'll have to make sure that I look out for that yeah. when I'm watching well, yeah, it. Now there's an it. F-World expanded universe. And yes. F-Word, F-World. You F- can make it work. Yeah, the F, the F-World. <laughs> Which one could that be? That's so fun. Yeah. It's just, it's such a, it's such a nice movie to talk about. Like, it really, it, there isn't a lot of tension. There isn't a lot of, I mean, there is, there's like an overarching, an overarching tension, but it's, the tension that will be resolved because there's never any question really that they'll get together. Right. It's, it's a film about that. Yeah, I kind of like to think I'm like on board with the original ending that you just told me about. Now I kind of like it that we leave it and we can make what we want out of it as well, rather than being told exactly what happened. But I think that I would have assumed exactly what happened is what they ended up making happen. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know that you need. Yeah, you don't need all it's, that. It's reassurance that the movie has already. Yeah, you. exactly. Yeah, because mm-hmm. anything could still happen after the wedding too. You don't know. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's always the possibility of a bad burger. The the bad burger. <laughs> something that, something that changes their relationship, and yeah, I think uh, we're told that Wallace finishes medical school, and we're told that Chantry succeeds in um, in the overseas office, and mm-hmm. all of these things. I mean, they, they they literally say it to each other in that weird little thing, mm-hmm. which is it's cute. And it's it sort of mirrors their initial meeting, but it's a mirror after a mirror, and that in the the previous party scene is the perfect mirror for the film. Right. And that's that's where it ended. Yeah, yeah. So it's yeah, it's weird. I I just I every time I see it now, I'm surprised by the extra beat. It's like oh, that's right. right. They they added this. They they didn't need it. <laughs> Sorry guys, if you're listening, and I know you are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many times have you talked about this, the effort on on your podcast? No, or? this is the first time. Oh, really? It's never is come it? Up. Yeah, oh, I mean, I'm I've surprised. talked the I, director and the writer. Yeah, well, <laughs> when Elon did the show, I th- think it was a year after because I didn't start the podcast until 2015, mm-hmm. and we just he was just one of the first people who did the, the podcast, and That's great. He, he picked what did he pick? Kicking and Screaming, the Noah Baumbach film. Oh, okay. which was good, but yeah. it didn't really line up at all with the F word. So, right. Other than the naturalistic dialogue. And when it was Douse's episode, it was for the Fubar Vice series. Okay. So it came up here and there, but he was taught, he picked Heaven's Gate, which really doesn't line up with the F word. Oh. So yeah, this is probably the first time we've had any really long 
Oh, sustained conversation. Oh, good. I'm glad to bring it to the table. Yeah, then. I try yeah. to avoid repeats, which <laughs> is good. That's very good. Um, but yeah, um, but Dust didn't really seem to have much of a history in romantic comedies. No, right? no. So not how, at did all. he say anything? I'm just curious about how this came. What what spoke to him and. And also, like, he just executed it so beautifully. Yeah. So, I mean, which obviously speaks to him as a filmmaker, but... We um, we mostly talked about the... When I interviewed him, when the film came out, I interviewed him for now, because we put Radcliffe on the cover, and it was this whole... There was a whole package. It was... We talked to Douse, we talked to Kazan, we talked to Radcliffe, and there was... Yeah, the Elan interview was more informal. It was just the two of us hanging out in the hallway during huh. the press day. Nice. Um... But the the biggest thing I got from it was that he just it was offered to him and he really thought it was a fun like a new thing to do. Okay. Because he made Fubar and he'd done some television and I think he'd already made Goon. The first Goon would have been the year before. Wow. If I remember correctly, I might be wrong about that. Um, but yeah, he had written um, the Don McKellar remake of The Grand Seduction, mm-hmm. which was I mean his first attempt at a romantic comedy, but he didn't direct it. And then he directed this, but he didn't write it. Mm-hmm. So it was a different... I think he just wanted to play with the levers and see how it all worked. Okay. And the fact that he wasn't really practiced at it, I think makes it better because mm-hmm. he didn't see any previous mistakes that he'd made that he wanted to correct, and he, he could just rip the material apart and make it work as a movie rather than a genre. Right. Because all the other ones... All the like in this current wave of, of uh, self-reflexive romantic comedies, they're always commenting on specific tropes, and right. the the lighting is a little brighter, and they're sort of parodying the old '90s setups. But the F word is just a movie that happens to take place in this genre. It's not arguing with itself about what kind of film it is. Right. Uh, it just lays things out. Like it doesn't look like previous. Romantic comedies. It really like the the Harry Met Sally thing took me a good half hour to not to hit me, which was bizarre. I, I agree with you on that, though. Yeah, it takes a little bit of time to to warm up, sort of. Um, I, I don't know what that is. I haven't. It's been a while since I've actually watched it. But yeah, why why did it feel that yeah. way for you? Well, it doesn't have any of the cues. Like it doesn't right. have the musical sting, the, the construction, like all the oldies that Rob Reiner put in, and all right. the, the just the way that uh, it establishes their relationship. Um, very swiftly with mm-hmm. the road trip and none of that is here so they just they these two people show up at the same place and right have a connection and then start doing the walk and talks right um and the the difference i think the other big difference is that in when harry met sally there isn't already a boyfriend right or, or a girlfriend there isn't an obstacle in place right it's just that they don't think they get along so right. they decide not to sleep together right and here they can't yeah. Which changes the relationship. But yeah. then once you figure out what it's doing by, you know, the time they drop in going to see The Princess Bride directed by Rob Reiner, it's just like, oh, okay, I get this. Now I got it. But it wasn't um, immediately evident, which I think is really kind of And lovely. from her, the first thing she says, yeah, we should definitely hang out. Uh Here's my number. I gotta go see my boyfriend now. Yeah. <laughs> like, interesting way of putting it on the table that you have a boyfriend and <laughs> just kind of throwing it on there. But she's obviously intrigued from the get-go as well. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, you wouldn't give the number. You lead with the boyfriend. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's something that comes up uh, in other films as well, where mm-hmm. you know you, it's not an it's. I mean, there's always an obstacle mm-hmm. in these things, but it's handled so gracefully here because it does feel like she's made a a split second choice initially Mm -hmm. not to tell him Mm -hmm. 
and how she's sort of the guilty. guilt. Yeah, yeah the yeah. guilt overcame her. Yeah. yeah, which is again, it's Gotta a perfectly human table. response. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and absolutely, and there's nothing to be said that they couldn't still just be very good friends as well. Like they're definitely, you can definitely still have a plutonic. I think that's interesting what you said about the exploration of chemistry and who sticks around and who doesn't, and and yeah, but yeah, there's definitely something right from the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's so um, it's so difficult to get that right too in a movie. I mean, yeah. now you've got chemistry reads and calculations and all that, but this is a tiny little film with just happens to be again with like one of the biggest stars in the universe yeah. making this movie and it's it's amazing how he's been able to transition i've i've met him a couple of times and and the last time we spoke i think it was long enough that i really got a, a decent sense of who he is instead of your, you know your 10 minute hit and run interview mm-hmm. and he's just so committed to not being famous anymore or oh. not being that anymore okay cool that yeah he he has nothing but positive things to say about making the Harry Potter movies he's referred to them like millions of times as the best theater school the best acting school he could ever have amazing and yeah I mean you're what you say eight years old and you're surrounded or ten and you're surrounded by the entire royalty of England (laughs) theater (laughs) and uh, the franchise of the the entire thing yeah it's incredible I mean he does say he can't look at his first three movies he just (laughs) he, he all he sees is a kid who's trying instead of an actor right but once he figured himself out and once he could once he knew what he could do he's challenged it over and over again yeah. here he is in a canadian romantic comedy um yeah. playing a loser yeah. like it's like playing someone with no confidence and who's racked with his own insecurities and neuroses and and it's a it's a completely credible performance yes indeed why not yet yeah, very much so and um uh we also recently watched i'm gonna remember i'm gonna forget the title of it hopefully you know but the movie where he's basically a corpse the entire oh, time. Oh yeah, yeah, Swiss Army Man. Swiss Army Man, which is which again. is r- ridiculous, but so fun. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, that's I think when I I'm like, okay, this guy is willing to play. Yeah, yeah. well, he said that you know, like that was yeah. the greatest advantage was that Gary Oldman told him. Yeah. And, and this is this I think is in the piece. He said like you have fuck you money, you can do whatever you want, yeah. and you don't have to do anything you don't want. Right. And he's just pursued this really odd career. Yeah. And and of course, um, Swiss Army Man is uh, co-stars. You've got it right there. Yeah, of course you do. My Amazing. natural gesture, but it is right there. Uh, but it's um, it's stars uh, Zoe Kazan's partner, Paul Dano. Oh, I didn't realize um, that. So yeah, either, so. and and he produced Radcliffe produced something else as well for Dano. It might have been. The Brian Wilson movie? I okay. don't remember. But but they're like they're really tight. They're nice. he works with people he trusts, he yeah. continues to do so. And they both just seem both Kazan and, and Radcliffe both seem like genuinely interesting people who have accidentally ended up mm-hmm. pretending to be other people. Because a lot of actors, I think the attraction is they just want to not be themselves for a while. Right. Um blanket yeah. uh, opinion. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean <laughs> I, and I completely see the appeal, but mm-hmm. I, I think the fascinating thing about Kazan and Radcliffe is they both grew up in front of cameras, basically, mm-hmm. and they have decided to be interesting people. Right. Um, and it's it's a choice. They have decided to be interesting people. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, you know, you see all the you see all the examples of how not to be. Right. I think if you're in the industry for any length of time. Yeah. Um, or this is just something that's been on my mind lately because all we're hearing now it's been you know two years of of the exposure of bad behavior and right. bad people and that's absolutely needed mm-hmm. but then you start to think about the good people right. uh, and how 
how important that is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're a producer. You... Yeah, no, same ways. It's You work with so many personalities in this industry, and there's just not enough time. And any project that you attach yourself, even if it's a short film, you know that it's going to take the next year or two of your life and mm-hmm. the space that you have. Like, So you might as well work with good people that you trust yeah. <laughs> and that you enjoy being around and that lift each other up because there's just not a lot of time otherwise. Yeah. Now, I'd, I would pick... I mean, I don't think the distributors would say the same thing, but I would pick... <laughs> somebody I love and trust over the name, <laughs> you know, yeah. that, that would, you know, hopefully sell your things. And then hopefully just the work speaks for itself and, and you go about doing that. But yeah. yeah, no, it's great to hear her say that it's true. I mean, and that's what we as filmmakers need as well, right? Like you got to have your support system in your basis. So yeah. 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 It just, it feels like, um, like, like anybody in this movie would be that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like there's any, and we'll probably find out someday that, you know, some bit player was throwing things around at a, at, the, yeah. at the wedding scene or something. Know, there right? was some disturbance. Yeah. But it feels like a movie made by people who just really enjoy what they're what they're making. Like this specific film is something that everybody's pulling together on and just into and, and it's such a it's such a sweet movie. I just keep coming back to it. I do love hearing you say um yeah that that um y- y- that these people connected because they probably did. I don't know if they worked together before this film. I don't know. If I, they did. I don't think that I've seen them credited together in anything before this film. But oh, Cassandra Radcliffe. No. Yeah, Cassandra no, Radcliffe. Definitely not. But they're and continue to work together or find ways to continue to work together um, in their pools afterwards. And you can tell that films like that, and I've worked on films like that too, that are just have that. Incre- it's it happens a lot of the time when you're when you go away, which is why I love to go away and make something because it's almost like you're going to a film camp, oh, yeah. and everybody can just kind of be in that space, and you're all there together, you know, making a creation, living your passions, doing your thing, hopefully getting paid at this point and stage in your <laughs> career, you know, um, but even in the indie world, and you really come together as a team to make something happen. And that's when these relationships are formed and like hopefully can continue on. And so I know Kelly comes from that world um, of, of like going away into a cottage for, yes, you know, right. many, many weeks on end. And, and like, and that's when you really get to know each other and you, it's, it's beyond just being professional and, and knowing your craft. It's, be, it's about becoming a team and the bond and, it's amazing when that continues to go on. So Laura Jean and I actually, who did the podcast with me, we worked together on a film, um, The Mass Saint. Oh yeah. Um, a number of years ago, and we were all up in Su- uh, Sault Ste. Marie um, for a couple weeks together. And so it's it, that's just another example of like a wonderful relationship because I probably I'm sure our paths would cross in Toronto quite a bit, but I don't think we would have. Um, had that camaraderie that we were able to establish when we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in November together, so... <laughs> yeah, it's, it is kind of amazing. Yeah. Every time someone discusses, like, a business incubator, it's like, that's a film set. I, yeah. I understand how that works. Yeah. You just... Everybody locked in the space together yeah. with a thing that they have to create, and if yeah. they don't learn how to coexist, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It, it won't be a good thing. It won't be a good thing, and, and yeah, you can't, you're kind of just forced to, and yeah. Yeah, no, and that's, again, that's what I love about the F word. You just get the sense that people got to play in Toronto yeah. and not pretend it, it wasn't. And and be very human in their characters yeah. and in, in everything. I'm, I'm sure that they had the best crew available to them, too, because Toronto has some of the most amazing crew, so I'm sure it was a great set. And, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's right, and like six or seven years ago, it would have been before all the TV production snapped up yeah. all the tech. Yeah, Because it is, it's different now, right? Like it's, the landscape is definitely different mm-hmm. I think in terms of a, an independent 
small. I mean, this was produced by E1, but it's still like a very small production compared Absolutely. to the other things that shoot here. Yeah. Um, I just saw. Uh, oh, I just saw Natty Zavitz's film. Oh, great! Yeah, have you I, seen I it? I know, but I we're invited. I'm invited to the screening on Saturday. I think oh, so. Hopefully, we'll get a chance to see it. I love Natty. Yeah. Um. He his film his first film premiered at the Canadian Film Fest. When edging. I'm, yeah. Yeah, edging, which was awesome. And uh, then we go to the same spin class, and oh, so we're nice. bopping around together on a bike. Yeah. yeah, I'm really proud of him, though. It looks like it looks like an like an awesome film. Yeah, it's the yeah. closest to the F word really in in the, in the setup because it's about two people who meet and are both in relationships, ah. um, but are still attracted to each other. Okay. And well, I mean, as we were talking about this, it's like, oh yeah, there is another movie that does that, but it doesn't because it immediately acknowledges the the physical connection the chemistry right and that changes everything about the movie but it is still people sort of walking around the city this one's mostly set in parkdale in, okay. in queen west it's Very almost cool. like it's deliberately the other side of the city from the f word even though they're otherwise unrelated uh and it's really it feels much more of a toronto present day movie than the uh-huh. f word does because yeah the city has changed and even in five years uh-huh. uh there's a there's a major subplot about home ownership destroying uh-huh. a couple and how it's just they bought a place there in their early 30s and it's it's eating them oh uh, that's and it creates the distraction so that allows, real <laughs> yeah, yeah it's like it's yeah. so of the moment it's yeah. really smart and probably by the time this episode drops it will be on uh, VOD so people should go hunt it down oh fantastic um, but yeah uh, it's it's the other film that I would think of in this in this sort of Toronto specific young people romantic comedy movie right uh, area, but it's it's also less of a comedy, which is also fine. It's yes. just not where it's going. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so this this does bring us to the the other question of the podcast, the closer, mm-hmm. which is: is there anything of the F word that you've borrowed or lifted or or just full on absorbed and stolen into your own creative DNA? Oh, I think quite a bit of it, which is why I relate with it so much. So, I mean, just in terms of the characters, I, like just it's just so human, and it's just such a lovely. Uh, portrayal of of how we really are on a daily basis and and when we meet people which we're constantly meeting people especially in the city you know um i think it really grabbed me when they first had that conversation about uh breakups mm-hmm. as well because um, it's the first time i really heard a character zoe's character uh he says something like oh i've been in this many relationships but i always got out when i knew that they were coming to a close and she said oh well i always just kind of cr- try to what, sorry what did she say she goes i always just try to uh keep them going that's just yeah. who i am and i do whatever i can and i'm like i've never heard anybody say that before and it's very true and i feel that's very relatable to me as well <laughs> i'm like in most of my relationships be it friends or or past boyfriends which i don't have a ton of either because i usually just did everything I could to make it work. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Probably me too. Yeah. I, it's probably... It's hard to say goodbye to people in your life, and especially when that chemistry is there and that bond is there and things are so strong. So, um, but I think it's a beautiful testament, and I mean, obviously it worked out for them and maybe not for her ex-boyfriend <laughs> in the film, but... He's, he's got Jurassic World to take care of. He's yeah, fine. Yeah, he'll be okay. Um, yeah, I think it's just a beautiful testament to to relationships and chemistry and and go and following what sparks and um eating trying new foods yeah yeah it really it is about that too i mean that's the other point that i wanted to acknowledge i couldn't figure out how yeah but you're right it's 
there are so few opportunities for people to be social that mm -hmm. don't involve eating. So mm -hmm. you get this tour in mm -hmm. the movie of all the opportunities there are to just sit and talk over mm -hmm. a dish of something. And that's, that's, I think Sex in the City ruined that for a lot of American films because they made them have to have destination locations for that stuff. Right. You know, this, if this movie is a success there, everybody's going to want this cupcake. So we have to find a real product that we can hook onto or product placement becomes an issue. Right. And the F word is just way more honest about it. Yeah. They go to a, they go to one club and it's a disaster. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, it's you know, it's that's the great thing too about Wallace is that he's basically a fifty-year-old man in a twenty-five-year-old's body, so he's constantly complaining about the world that he's in. Yeah. Um, but his pace is definitely sitting at diners and yeah. having coffee and, and walking around instead because that's the like, that's the Billy Crystal old man vibe yeah. I think from When Harry Met Sally, and this was based on a play that didn't do any of this stuff. I noticed that, but I don't know the play. Nor do I. No. Okay. Um, I understand that it was very good. Everybody huh? seems to like it, and that the film is a radical reinterpretation. Okay. So I think it was really just the two of them. Mm -hmm. And so all this other stuff that's been added, the superstructure of the of the movie is borrowing from other romantic comedies mm -hmm. and acknowledging that in a way that makes it feel somehow more real that the characters would acknowledge popular culture and that all this thing all these things happen i don't know i don't know that you could get away with it on stage mm -hmm. in the same way you'd have to like directly quote the source material yeah yeah I, yeah that's interesting yeah yeah it's it's a funny world even when we were just talking before about um skyping people from other rooms and, yeah, yeah. and how often i think this movie is so lovely in that they're just they just are getting to know each other so much and then just having these lovely little conversations and and it shows all these destinations and it really kind of makes you I want to go for a walk right now and go see Riverdale Park again you know I'm like I forgot how beautiful that view is <laughs> yeah I never get over there <laughs> I know right why do you unless you need to go to the east end for any reason but Toronto does have so much amazing stuff to offer and it, I think just because I've been here for such a long time now I know you were born and raised here yeah that, yeah yeah I've been here for probably about 15 years now which I don't know where that time went but <laughs> I used to do that on a weekly basis when I first moved here and now it's kind of just my commute to where I have to go and then I come back home and I watch something, or I... <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. that's life, right? That's it's, just what happens. It's just what happens. You, you settle in yeah. to where you are. But it's been weird. We, we've we been here in Little Italy for three years, uh -huh. um, and tried maybe a quarter of the restaurants we want yeah. to try. And so it, you just, you just like, well, it's cold Same. out. Same. I usually just, I've, I mean, I found a couple that I like, and I usually just keep going back to them. Yeah. Actually, that's another shout out to something that I, I saw in this film. The Done Right In, they do a scene right in front of this place on Queen Street West, yes. right at Queen and Claremont, called The Done Right In. And we do not live far from there. When we first moved into the neighborhood, The Done Right In was a staple. It was a beautiful little gem of an Italian restaurant that was way underpriced and gave you such a huge amount of incredible food and probably the reason why they don't exist anymore today. But say, it's not still there because I missed it. Yeah. Oh, man. We have hot mess. But, we have the, the, uh, the Tex-Mex place up on college. Oh, hot mess. I haven't been there yet. Absolute total shout out to hot mess. Hot uh, mess. I'm coming for you. They are. Oh, tacos for days. They're so good. Is that the one they actually have the real queso cheese too? Yes. Someone was telling me about this. Okay. Yeah, I think right I might have Royal to make Cinema. a stop after oh, this podcast. You, you should <laughs> Open at six. You'll make it. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, um, 
I think that's pretty much everything. Is there is there yeah. anything else you want to throw in? No, I don't think. I don't know. I just yeah, coming it's up a lovely, lovely film. Um, I think that it's one of those films that will also like Harry Met Sally. I think that I can go back and watch it in another ten, maybe twenty years, and still feel the same things that I feel after watching it the first time. And and that's you know that's that's a special kind of film. So yeah, yeah. yeah it holds up in, in a way that it's. It sparkles. I yeah. hate saying things like that because it sounds like they're cute. Yeah. But it's such a it's such a sweet, charming. It's, you know what it is. It's the kind of movie we don't make here. Yes. And that makes it feel even more special. Yes, it's very true. Um, yeah, I think that's 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 really interesting. Um, and we, I hope that we make more of it because I'm definitely a big fan. <laughs> That's the kind of movie that I'll always throw on, um, when I, when I just need a feel good. But, uh, but it's, yeah, it's very true. I, um, I do work for the Canadian Film Fest and I, I don't have anything to do with programming there, but I, um, I watch all the films when they come. And this year, especially 2019 was, I mean, I think it just speaks to the testament of, you know, the way the world is right now. Um, but the films are very dark and very heavy yeah. and that's fine and that's important and these stories need to be told and these messages need to get out there. Um, however, everybody loves a good pick-me-up sparkling movie <laughs> as well. So I really hope that we do continue to make those and find the beauty in our environments and our worlds. And so, um, yeah, I have yet to make anything like that. So I'm just putting it out there to the amazing filmmakers that we <laughs> that are around. Um, please keep making making the happy movies too, because the world needs some happy too. <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be nice. Yes. <laughs> My thanks to Jen Pogue, whose latest production, Things I Do for Money, directed by her husband, Warren P. Sonata. And again, congratulations, you guys. Just had its world premiere at the Whistler Film Festival. It won't be out until next year, so until then, you should spend your time catching up to Jen and Lara Jean's podcast, Women on Screen Out Loud, on the platform of your choice. Thanks also to Jen Gerson. She knows what she did. You can find Jen Pogue on Twitter, at Jen Pogue, all one word, and you can find the F word on Blu-ray and DVD from Entertainment One in Canada and from Sony Pictures Home Entertainment in the US, where it's known as What If. Ugh. It's also on iTunes in Canada and on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Video in America. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast, S-E-M-Cast, and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. Our shiny new theme song is by The Last Year. If you like it, or the show in general, say so by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. Every little bit helps. It truly does. And check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network. Uh, Jordan Heath Rawlings' excellent Rob Ford miniseries, The Gravy Train, drops its final episode this Thursday. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. And you know what? Go have tacos at Hot Mess. It's right across the road from the Royal, which is an actual location in the F-word, so technically it's still relevant to this conversation. And try the VLT guacamole. It's amazing. See you next week. See you next week.